Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. You see, we fooled ourselves by saying that we know ninth overall is going to be the outcome and not to get our hopes up and that we're done praying for the dream. And if it happens, great. And if it doesn't, who cares? The Red Wings knew that they were most likely going to draft ninth overall. And the hockey gods looked at that and said, well, we th- we can't have them brace and, and do away with the expected misery. We have to find a way to be make this an even harder kick in the pants. And then they gave Connor Bedard to the Chicago Blackhawks. And just the entire, it was proof that there's nothing good or just in this world. And every Red Wings fan who had come to terms with ninth overall then had to look up at that and go, okay, yeah, now I'm sad again. If you ever believed in karma, you surely don't now. (laughs) Here we are, post-lottery. If you're watching on YouTube, you can absolutely see the dejected look on all of our faces. How Evan looks all the time is how we look. all look right now. Evan's resting face is pretty much all of, pretty much 31 franchises' uh, vibes at the moment. It's how I feel on the inside, too. Oh, we don't want to talk about what came out of inside of you <laughs> before this episode. <laughs> had to air out the studio. It, it made me miss Brad's dogs. When uh, the old days when we used to record in your kitchen, they used to gas us out. Nice little throwback from you, Evan. Yep. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. This is our first post-lottery episode where we unfortunately have some more clarity in terms of how the draft order is shaking out in the NHL. Uh, the draft lottery has taken place. Detroit didn't move down any spots, but they didn't have their uh, either of their 1-in-20 shots to move up to picks 1 or 2 as they stayed ninth overall. Here to talk to you about all things NHL draft, Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL prospects, and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, we actually uh, brought in Max Boltman to help discuss uh, the options for the Red Wings uh, at ninth overall, what is going to happen with Steve Eiserman uh, and his plans in the offseason, and just overall uh, a conversation about the draft lottery, and we're obviously going to bring you the same as well. Uh, we're going to break down how the night shook out, uh, where the Red Wings land uh, currently with their two picks, and then we're going to kind of give you an overview in terms of what the different strategies are for Red Wings management. There's a lot of really good forwards available. There's some defensemen available who are worth being part of the conversation. Trades are possible. The the stage is set, and we are now trundling towards uh, uh, the draft itself. So uh, it is now full draft season for the Winged Wheel podcast. Uh, Some news uh, from (laughs) some opposite news counter to what we gave you for Jake Wallman in the World Championships uh, is coming up, and then uh, we'll see what else we get into before overtime. Before all that, uh, I want to let you know that uh, Patreon supporters are the heart and soul of this show, and uh, the members of the so-called Dub Dub Club are the reason we're able to do everything. Uh, record, uh, post, grow this show, make it a little better every day, uh, support the Jamie Daniels Foundation through various initiatives, uh, expand the Winged Wheel Podcast content universe uh, through uh, our first expansion show, Expected by Whom, hosted by Sean Shapiro and Prashanth Iyer. Give them a follow on Twitter and tune into the show. Patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you uh, want to go above, above and beyond and are able and, and want to support the show a little bit more, that's how you do it. And it, it means the world to us for anyone who can support uh, any amount. Uh, you get special uh, perks such as access to our Patreon exclusive discord. You get access to our bonus episodes, which are uh, full of not just our off the cuff, unfiltered rants, but also uh, maybe some extra bonus stuff from uh, pre-recording that to stick in there, some bloopers. 
uh, and they're they're generally a lot of fun. And you're also automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Uh, we had two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season, and the vast majority of them went to Patreon supporters. Again, that's patreon.com slash podcast. The draft lottery has come and gone. I'm so done with them. I Like, emotionally, I'm done with them, and I also think now, actually, in terms of hockey operations, the Red Wings have to be done with them soon. But I suppose we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, the lottery shook out like this. Everyone from picks 16 to 4 stayed in place in reverse order. Calgary, Nashville, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Arizona from Ottawa, Vancouver, St. Louis, Detroit at 9th, Washington, Philly, Arizona, Montreal, San Jose. Columbus moved down. Anaheim moved down, so they won the second lottery. So they won the you know so-called Fantilli lottery, if that's what they ended up selecting. And Chicago moved up from third best odds to win uh, Connor Bedard. They ended up winning the draft lottery. And that's how we feel about that. I don't even know where to start. Do, do we want to talk about the implications for the Red Wings in this draft lottery first, or do we want to talk about the Chicago thing? I don't want to spend an hour pulling my hair out about Chicago, mostly because I only have so much left and my barber winces a little t- a little more every time I can see it on him. Yeah, but he's, he's losing <laughs> revenue every time you do. I pay him all the same, funny enough. I don't pay him any less. Um, but let's do a little bit on Chicago here and then we'll get into Detroit because most fans across the hockey world looked at the Chicago franchise who, through all of their controversy, through the Kyle Beach uh, um Cover up that you know went a decade before being exposed through all of a sudden they had Kane and Taves and then tanked for what a year and were rewarded when some teams had to like suffer through the pain forever. They've they get unfettered national attention, they get every outdoor game. It's just and then they're rewarded immediately with Connor Bedard. And it's just I have not found a single person outside of Chicago uh, fandom who likes this. And let me make this clear if you're a Chicago fan, you shouldn't care. At all, but I'd be off the internet for like 72 hours. The internet's not for you right now. Go party. Enjoy the fact that you're getting one of the best talents to come out of the, the draft of this millennium, what, like top five and feel okay with it. But wow, does that suck objectively in my mind? First and foremost, the thing I'm going to say that was absolutely all over my, my mentions today. I don't believe the NHL rigs this draft. No, no, no. I've no. never believed it. Like, there's, if there, they... The NHL is, is, is too inept mm-hmm. to, yeah. to rig a draft exactly. lottery. If, if they were trying to rig it, they would have accidentally sent an email to a reporter. Like, yeah, you saw that tweet. Yeah, the tweet. I, yeah. That guy's always on point. That tweet sent me over the edge. That's exactly what it would have been. He, yeah. Oh, uh, Bedard to Chicago plan, send tweet to... Uh, James Myrtle, yeah. the athletic, like, <laughs> yeah. but so I don't think this is rigged, but it doesn't mean I'm still not mad. And, you know, we can look at the, you know, the hilarity of the team that was really good forever. The year they decide to go, all right, we're going to do exactly what Gary Bettman hates and enter the tank to end all tanks. And then get rewarded for it at the end when, remember, the NHL doesn't like tanking. Whereas the one team in the bottom of the standings this year who actively tried to be good, Columbus, was the only team that got bumped down without winning one of the top two spots. The Chicago Blackhawks should not have had this pick. 
Let's go back in time to when Lou Lamorello signed Ilya Kovalchuk to that contract, which was legal at the time he signed it. And then the NHL revised the rules and punished the New Jersey Devils. One of those punishments was taking away a first round pick. There's there's nuance to that situation. They they said it was yeah. signed in bad faith, intentionally trying to circumvent, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it was. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it was right, but they took away a first round pick for it. Yep. The Arizona Coyotes illegally fitness tested prospects. They lost a first round pick in the middle of a rebuild. The Chicago Blackhawks organizationally covered up a sexual assault and enabled the abuser and got him jobs, uh, got him more jobs within hockey that led to another assault. They did not lose a first round pick. They did not lose any picks. They should have lost multiple first round picks relative to what other teams have lost first round picks for. That's why I bring up the other two, because the severity here is not close. The New Jersey Devils and the Arizona Coyotes did stuff they should not have done, and they lost first round picks for it. Chicago did something infinitely worse and got a $2 million fine, which fun fact, they made up. <laughs> in season ticket sales within an hour of the draft lottery. So what actually is Chicago out uh, from the from the scandal? Nothing. They actually are coming out ahead. Stan Bowman and, and Joel Quenville lost their jobs. Um, Which well, in one of those instances was probably for the betterment of the organization oh, anyway. I, they did him a favor, yeah, because Davidson came in and he executed he, the tank yeah. to a T. Kyle Davidson has done a good job. At what he needed to do. Yeah. So that's the crux of this for me is this organization not only didn't deserve it, shouldn't have got it. I have no problem with Chicago fans. I have no problem with the city of Chicago. City of, city of Chicago is a beautiful place. Oh, Connor, city, but, city of Chicago is amazing. The fans and the sports every, teams, we love to hate them. Yeah. Everybody who's saying, oh, Bedard's not going to go to the Hawks for recent. Are you kidding me? If I didn't hate the Hawks so much, like. I would love to go to Chicago and play hockey. That sounds like a fantastic idea if we ignore the organization that's there. Sign me up 100 out of 100 times. Yeah, it's a little unfair that a team that just entered the rebuild after being good for over a decade gets... But that's just luck. Like, there's, the only reason the Red Wings haven't won a draft lottery is plain and simple bad luck. Chicago had good luck. The Rangers have had good luck. The Oilers have had good luck. That's just the nature of the beast as stupid as the system is Chicago didn't do anything wrong within the system of the lottery and tanking and whatever you want to call, um, you know, Detroit, we've talked about at length should have did what done what Chicago did way earlier, way earlier. They held on trying to make the playoffs, which is for the record, exactly what Bettman wants. The way the Red Wings got bad was exactly the way the league wants they never actively tanked. They just wrote it out till there was no way they could be good anymore. And we've suffered seven years because of it. But man, there's one organization <laughs> in the entire NHL that didn't deserve Connor Bedard. And it's this one. What you said before we hit record was, it's not even a silver lining, but it's just like the only point that you can laugh at here is that this is the most united the NHL fan base has been in a long, long time. Yeah. No one thinks Chicago deserved this. Regardless, the Chicago Blackhawks, unfortunately, just walked away from Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane and are now going to get Connor Bedard. Uh, and so we have to live with that. The only real saving grace here, if you if you look past the emotional part of it, is that 
you know, he's not in the East and he's not in the, he's not in the Atlantic and he's not in the East period. So that is for the Red Wings. Like you'll hear me say this to Max in a moment here, but when they went past Ottawa and Montreal, uh, in that draft lottery order. And for Ottawa, it would have been Fantilli and Montreal could have had Bedard. I like froze up. I was like, oh man, this would suck so hard as these teams who are in lockstep with Detroit in development if they got that big boost because Detroit already has had no luck. But pretty much where I'm at on this is, okay, Detroit's done this dance year after year after year after year after year. This is it. That's it. You're done. Not that, you know, Eisenman wanted to be in this position, but you can't hang out down here anymore. You hung out for as long as was reasonable. You hung out for... uh, the, the Bedard lottery, which I'm happy they at least ended up with the ninth best odds because at some point it could have been like the 14th or 15th. That's what we thought it might be. But this is it. Like You have to move out of this, this scene now. It's exhausting for fans. And this team is just too good to hang out down here. If they're down here again, it means another season has been incredibly disappointing. You didn't get the luck in your favor. I think it's bullshit. It sucks. It's just the way the ping pong balls came out of the, the hopper. This isn't Detroit's place anymore. They now have to move forward. And if it means murky middle, if it means like 13th to 16th best odds for a couple of year, so be it. But you have to move out of this now. You know, the moment we don't do a draft lottery stream and they're like 14th, they're going to win it. Oh, we'll still do it. As long as they're not in the playoffs, we're going to do it just to see if they move up. I just watched rounds of golf float away out of your eyes. Yes. But <laughs> no, it, of course, that's how it's going to shake out. But you know what? Like they... Every single lottery that they've they've gone into, they've it's been reasonable. It's been okay. Is is Eiserman finally going to get that stroke of luck to move this rebuild along and undo some of the the years that got knotted up by you know bad contracts or just not having the assets or or get that boost that other teams have had one, two, three times? And it's just been no. Detroit is I think tied for the worst in terms of uh, lottery luck statistically in terms of how they moved across the NHL. It sucks, but that is what it is. So Detroit ends up with ninth. And what I will say is through the doom and gloom of, yeah, we didn't get Bedard. Yeah, we didn't get Fantilli is of all years to draft all years to draft ninth. This one is really not bad. There are some really great options there. And that's not counting if the crazy thing happens in like a Michkov falls or something. And some people believe that could happen. So the good news is it's done. The Bedard lottery is done, whatever. We know it sucks that they didn't win, but they now have a, a wealth of options and they have two picks within the first 17. Detroit can walk away with some serious, substantial changes here that's going to make them better in the medium and long term. Yeah, the top of this draft being so strong just bumps the rest of the draft even further back and even more value. Like if this Bedard draft didn't have Vantilli, Michkov, Carlson, Will Smith, you know, you're looking at a guy like Dalibor Dvorsky, who in a normal draft would be a very reasonable third or fourth overall pick, mm-hmm. who now might be an option at nine. Same with Ryan Leonard, same with, you know, Gabe Pro, Zach Benson, whoever you want to talk about. And the fact there's so many of them and the talent's so deep, not only are the Red Wings going to get a very, very good player at nine, they might get another top 10 talent at 17. Because we, we've, I think we were talking about it. Well, I was not typing, but I was reading the group chat where once you get past about pick five or six, there's this group of about nine or 10 players that are all pretty similar in talent. 
And the way the NHL draft works is there are going to be players not in that group that get picked in that group, pushing a couple of them to pick 17. So the Red Wings could, in theory, like, you know, you want to talk about a potential best case scenario, walk away from this draft with Ryan Leonard and Braden Yeager. That'd be amazing. Yeah. uh, uh, You could be walking away with uh, Oliver Moore, Colby Barlow. That like that this is very much on the table. I would float out of the arena if I'm the Red Wings and I landed those two. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it sucks that the Red Wings sucked. I hated that we had to go through another draft lottery. Like I, I it wasn't a shtick for me leading up to the, the lottery. I literally am sick and tired and did not care. Like I there was not a thought in my head that even once thought one or two was an option, and I was just praying we didn't pick tenth or eleventh. So I was very happy with the outcome. And yeah, now you just hope for the best case scenario on the draft board, which, hey, now this is the fun part of it. This is where it actually does get exciting. And we are going to get to that uh, on the other side of our interview with Max. Let's jump to that interview with uh, Max Boltman of The Athletic Detroit. We are going to chat with him about uh, who is available at nine. Uh, Max's overall thoughts at uh, in terms of how the draft lottery shook out and What's going to happen next for the so-called Iser plan? Does Iserman have to make a big move this offseason? What's his next step now that the luck isn't going to fall his way? So without further ado, uh, enjoy this conversation we had with Max Boltman. We both played it real cool, Max, about, uh, you know, we know they're going to end up in ninth or maybe move down and it's not going to happen. But I think we can both admit we were really, really hoping for the miracle last night in the lottery. I was hoping to not mess up the live stream. Um, as that was going down, that was the first time I've done one of those. I don't know how you guys keep track of everything. I, I went back and watched and I'm just like, not even looking at the screen half the time, like I'm looking over <laughs> the top of the, uh, camera and that was a task. So better luck next year, I guess for me, but, uh, I'll tell you every single live stream we've ever done. One of Brad or Evan says, are we live? Without fail. And so yesterday, as I'm about to hit go live, I looked at them. I said, under no circumstance will you look at me and say, are we live? And they go, okay, dad. And I go live and I do like a quick, like whatever. I throw to them very fast and Evan freezes up and he goes, I know I'm not supposed to ask this, but <laughs> so uh, it, live streams don't get any easier over time. I think you just deal with the awkwardness. Man, it, we, we did it a little differently. You guys do the whole – I watched a little bit of yours on the, on the early. It was really good as always. Um, but we just jump right in like as they were starting the countdown basically because we just want yeah. you know, reaction more or less. Better um, quality. And it was – well, no, it was just really tough to like follow it. And, and I'm asking Corey questions and I'm you know jumping in with like, okay, nothing's changed yet. Still nothing out of place. Oh, man, the top three is this. And then – Someone texted me like, did Weeks just, I think it was you texted me or Prashant, one of you guys texted Prashant, me like, yeah. yeah, did Weeks just spoil this? And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing Weeks just spoiled this or whatever. And, <laughs> uh, you know, so it was, but I thought it was good. It was, it was a fun, uh, I know people hate the outcome and I get it. Like, you know, I, Red Wings fans have earned a night like that uh, to go their way. And it's starting to seem like it's not going to happen. I don't want to lie to anybody about that. It, kind of seems like it's not going to happen. I feel bad uh, for you guys about it. But I also do think this does not have to be end of days. I know these are the teams that end up the favorites uh, in, in the years to come to win the, to win the cup and all that stuff. But 
Um, I do believe that you can do this without that guy, without that number one overall pick player. And I do think the Red Wings have some really, really good young players in their system. I do not think it's end of days, just probably uh, for a lot of people, a disappointing day. And I think that's totally valid. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it's okay. I really do. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to try to, you know, sell anybody a, a bill of goods here, but it's, uh, it's a tough, tough outcome, but not the end of the world. So let's talk about the result a little bit. We're not going to dive into the Chicago thing. I know uh, that was probably emotionally my least preferred outcome as well. Um, I'm with you most people on that. You should have seen my mentions. I thought it was a fine outcome. I, I look at it solely through the lens of the Atlantic Division and the Eastern Conference. But uh, I guess I, I guess I just don't have whatever that gene or, or not gene like that, uh, you know, neuron connection of just like <laughs> this is the end of the world like to me it's like no if he stays out of the east it's a huge win for the red wings and everyone was like you don't understand i would rather you know him go to montreal and i was like okay buddy here's the thing so if you asked me before i would have said i would have been completely with everyone and i still hate the result like i loathe it with every fiber of my being i don't think that organization deserved the first overall pick and I, I said, actually, I probably said something stupid to the same effect where I said, yeah, I would prefer Montreal over Chicago. But when the uh, lottery cards passed by Buffalo and Ottawa and Montreal, I like clammed up. I was like, Detroit is sewered. If these teams that are developing alongside them and are already outpacing them in some regard, and you know, if Montreal does it, then they blow past Detroit as well. That is almost like a death knell to to the Red Wings, and I That's think they're it. fortunate to to avoid that. I agree. I I think people Montreal was in the Stanley Cup final like three years ago. One of the, like it's within the last three years. Montreal was in the Cup final. I don't know if people fully appreciate that if they had won Connor Bedard, maybe even Adam Fantilli, they are on par with you all of a sudden. That had, that should be terrifying for people that like you're, you're like literally going to get laughed by a team that was in the cup final this decade. Like to me, that would be, that's end of days. And Detroit is already watching Ottawa come perilously close to doing what we're celebrating Detroit doing earlier this year, which was, you know, a, a wild card playoff spot. Uh, Buffalo, even more so, those teams are both looking in advance, and Buffalo is not only finding their prospects who should have been good and have been good with Darlene and everything like that, they are getting uh, prospects who have found new life. Uh, Cousins has come alive for the Sabres. Like, those organizations are going extremely well. So yeah, if, if Detroit, who just cannot buy luck, like if, if Steve Eisman could have went and bought vouchers to increase his luck by 5% infinitely, it just never would have made a difference. It just doesn't happen for the Red Wings. So yeah, I, I'm all for, you know, the boiling rage at the Chicago organization in general, but hockey ops speaking here, Detroit dodged a bullet. A hundred percent. I mean, to me, that's the takeaway. And I, people, I did not like me saying that on Twitter. So maybe I'm off base here. Maybe this is just one of, one of the, the things I don't get, but, uh, I thought that was a, a success for them because to me that the path is narrow right now, but it's there. And if he goes to like Ottawa, oh my gosh. If he goes to Buffalo, you're cooked. And I honestly think even if he goes to Montreal, Detroit will still have the better like defense core there. But I think like Montreal probably is going to get Pierre-Luc Dubois. And that's on top of whichever one of those guys they got. And you can kind of find those D somewhere, I think. It would have been bad. So I think it's okay. I really do. So Detroit 
comes home with ninth overall pick. Um, I guess a broad strokes question for you. And I, I should say that uh, you worked on two pieces for The Athletic. Outside of the live stream, you put out uh, a piece on um, just generally what Detroit might be looking at with that ninth overall pick. And you also took part of it uh, in a staff mock draft where I believe it was, I won't spoil who it was. Maybe if you, you can spoil it. I've, it's Ryan Leonard. Uh, Ryan Leonard, right. Yeah, it's out there. (laughs) (laughs) The articles are linked in the description of this episode. Uh, As always, uh, please give them a read. But uh, you you put work into those two things. So let's talk broad strokes. Detroit has ninth pick here. It looks like they're going to have 17th pick. What I've said, and this isn't because I have any information on it, it's just because I have a gut feeling, is I don't think Detroit will make picks 9 and 17 as they are. Do you have any kind of intuition that way? I kind of agree with you. Uh, I think whether it's a trade up from 17 to get to like that 10, 11, 12 again, I don't know exactly who that's going to be because I, you know, I, Vancouver seems like they kind of need to make that pick and St. Louis already has extra capital. So maybe it's not in that 10, 11, 12 per se, but if you can get up into that, uh, maybe, maybe you're going to deal with Nashville or something or, um, you know, toward, toward the back half of that. I don't think you're going to do it interdivision with Buffalo, but I, I think a trade up makes probably the most sense to make sure you get one of those guys. I, you could stand Pat. The way that our staff mock broke, I kind of liked the board that was there with Samuel Hanzik and Tom Willander, as well as the two Russians still staring you right in the face at the end of uh, 16 picks. Like that, I think that's a really good board at 17. Um, guys who, who I don't think you're taking at nine. Maybe there's an argument for Hanzik, but I, I think on talent, all could go, could be considered top 12. Um, but I think a, a trade up to make sure you get a guy if you absolutely love, if you know, the way that NHL boards work, I think it's not a stretch to say you could have two guys in your top 10. Um, if you, if you have two picks in the top 12 or 13, um, that's a, a huge win. I, I don't, I don't know how you feel about it. I think you could justify trading the Islander pick for a player straight up. I think you'd rather make both picks if you can, but if it's the difference between getting your guy in a trade and not, you do it, but I think ideally you probably want to move the Boston pick, right? But I think a trade up from 17 makes or 18, I shouldn't assume, but uh, looks like it's going to be 17 as long as Florida gets the job done. Uh, that That's a pretty good situation. If you can get up to 12, 13, I think you're really happy with what you're going to come away with. Now, something that came up in my mind was this is complete pie in the sky. I almost think it's, it's impossible with the price, but you see that fifth overall pick that Montreal has and and probably more likely San Jose because Montreal won't want to go in division here. Uh, but that is guaranteed to be one of Smith, Michkov, or Carlson. I'm thinking if you can do a way to make it happen, that is the biggest like home run swing that Eisman could do to to make a really significant difference in this rebuild. But I also guaranteed? think... What do you mean? That Montreal would take one of those three guys? <sighs> If Montreal takes Michkov, that is a it's it's kicking the can down the road. But they've shown some some willingness to be patient with their new regime there. I think it makes a ton of sense for them to take Michkov. It's just a big mystery, right? Because he he's the one who you could see any of those teams passing, right? The one that you know, obviously Washington with Ovechkin and having just had the the success getting Miroshenko's contract mutually terminated. Like that's the one that I have a hard time seeing him get by. But like. I don't know that you can be shocked with him getting by any of those teams. Person. So who do you? So if Montreal goes off the board, who do you think they would take? Well, they need a D. Um, we usually do see a D go in the top five. Yeah, I don't know. Um, 
I don't think Leonard would be crazy there. Although I think that's, if you're at that point, you probably are saying, you know, the, the gap between Mitchkov and Leonard is enough that I think you probably justify it. Cause Leonard's going to take a couple years anyway. Yeah. Um, it probably would have to be the D I would, I would guess. Um, and you think Ryan Bacher would go first of all the defensemen? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm just saying, I, you know, last year, I think we got pretty confident that we knew what was going to happen within the top two or three. And then about a month before Corey started being like, hold on guys. And he, to his credit was dead on. He took a ton of crap for people saying like he was going for, you know, shake up clicks or whatever. And Corey on our stream last night said that it would not uh, shock him. He, he thinks it's, you know, a very valid to discuss Mitchkov more in the six to 10. So I think that could happen. See, it's funny because I'm I'm almost being admittedly hypocritical here because one of my opinions right now is that the luck isn't going to happen for Detroit. They've waited it out with the lotteries as long as it's reasonable. Based on the way this, this team has moved, the players they have, you have to move now. And I think Eisman has to kind of create his own magic here. Um, easier said than done. Obviously, I don't know what that solution is, and I don't think he's been handed uh, anything on a silver platter. But I also think if you can have Michkov, three years is a long damn time to wait especially for as long as Red Wings fans have been waiting but if you have Michkov I think you have to try to make a move to get him I would try yeah if he gets to five five six seven I would I would try um I like we said Washington at eight just feels you know uh, but yay eight two if, if other teams are trying to bid up there five to eight I would be trying to go up and get him and I I don't think it's crazy at that point because after Michkov I don't think the player that you would take, if you're, if you're one of those teams and you don't like Mitchkov, then the next player on your board, you got at least a pretty good shot. Dvorsky would be another one for Montreal. Um, you got at least a pretty good shot that that guy's there at nine. And if that's the case, why not pick up another pick? Uh, I think it probably costs you nine and 17, but I don't think that would scare me off if I was the Red Wings. If, if I'm in on Mitchkov, it wouldn't. No, no, I, no, that's exactly the kind of move. And that might make a lot of people wince, but the way I think about it now is you have to, you have to pay up to make a substantial move. Like you're not going to get this asset for free. They've tried. They've, the, lot, the lottery has come and gone umpteen times now. It's just not going to happen that way. So you have to deal all those assets. And Detroit has a wealth of assets now. Five picks in the first two rounds this year. Yeah, I think you're right. They're going to have to, it'll come at a premium and it would probably be worth it. You mentioned Dvorsky's name, and he's among the guys where if he's available at nine, I don't know necessarily that Dvorsky would be, but he would be one of those guys that you're eyeing if you're the Red Wings. Who's kind of in that group in your mind? Yeah, I mean, he, him coming out of U18s really showed that he can put a team on his back, and you know his club play I know it was not the most inspiring production, um, and that's very fair, but you just watched him uh, against his peers completely carry the show. I, I don't know if he got MVP votes, but... Certainly, there are people on Twitter talking about him deserving MVP votes. That's, uh, you know, pretty impressive for that tournament, considering his team didn't even medal, but they don't even get to the the bronze medal game without him. So um, he would definitely be one of them. Ryan Leonard, I think, it, like I said, he's the guy I picked in our mock. I think he checks a ton of boxes. I, I think he's a really good option. He, he, both of those guys, I think, could be gone by nine. Um, and if that happens, I think you're you're looking at, you know, Nate Danielson, I think would be a strong pick. I know, I, I think the narratives around that are going to be 
pretty similar to what they were around Casper with people questioning the offense. I think there's offense there. I think, you know, we talk about a six, one, two way center who does have good hands. Like if you go watch him, he does have good hands. Um, he was on a bad team and I, that caused the production late birthday. I get it, but I think the profile is very Detroit. I think the Oliver Moore profile is pretty Detroit. I know, uh, a lot of Zach Benson lovers out there and believers who are going to want to hear his name there. I don't think that's unreasonable. Uh, Gabe Perot, another guy out of that uh, U18 tournament who, you know, we saw it's out of the U18 tournament. He did it all year, though. Like, I just wasn't really sure how much to buy of it until then. Um, but I thought he was – I mean, he broke every, you know, he was the all-time highest NTDP single-season points, smashed Austin Matthews' number. You can't ignore that. He's very thin. Um, but he is 5'11. He's not, you know, 5'9. Like we're not, he's not that small. He's just pretty slight. So, you know, if, if you wanted to say there's some Lucas Raymond rhyme, I think you could. Um, super smart player, obviously. I think those are the guys I list. Samuel Hanzek and Colby Barlow would be the other two, kind of the, the bigger body scorers in this draft. Um, I think there's a good pool. Lars is going to, you know, light me on fire if I don't say Axel Sandin Pelica's name. I don't think that's unreasonable. I actually think Tom Willander is more the Red Wings type. He had an awesome tournament, um, played a big role for them, amazing skater. I think you could, if you squint, you can see some Jake Sanderson rhyme there. That's pretty interesting for a right shot D that the Red Wings need, very much their profile. So they, they have really good options. I think nine, but, but the thing is there's just not that like, well, it's this guy, is this is the, the far and away. I felt like last year... We, we narrowed it down pretty quick, right? We were talking about, what, Casper Savoy and maybe one other guy. I don't even yeah. know, you know, publicly. I'm not, I don't know who they were down between, but right. uh, th- that's who we were talking about. And, you know, I, it, Casper went and Savoy went right after that. At this year, I think there's a much bigger pool. And I think that gets you excited for 17, um, too, because one of those guys could fall. If there isn't some kind of miraculous move up to to grab one of those top tier or top tier outside of Connor Bedard players, it's funny because you can almost make the justification to trade back from nine a few spots and trade out from seventeen a few spots. Like both moves make a ton of sense mm-hmm. based on who might be available. Um, I'm a big Oliver Moore guy, and I know Prashanth thinks that uh, he might be available later on past nine. So if that's the case, and that's a dream for Detroit, right? Totally. I mean, if you got one of those big scoring wingers, let's say at nine, and you somehow get Oliver Moore at seventeen. I think you're dancing out of Bridgestone Arena that night because Moore might be the fastest player in the draft. Um, again, I, another one, I think there's some rhyme with Casper. I think he's a better skater than Casper, but I think Casper was a really good skater too. Maybe not as as mean purely, but one of those guys, like you, you feel really good that he's going to be um, a, a top nine center. I think Casper, I think you think top six now. More, we'll see. But there's a lot of rhyme with Dylan Larkin's NTDP year there, too, in terms of there was the big line and then there was him on the next line. If you look at Oliver Moore's production, it's right there with Cutter Gauthier, Matt Boldy at the NTDP. It's not like he was nothing there. It's just that he was really overshadowed and probably didn't show quite the, you know, playmaking himself, uh, which... I get people want to see out of a center, but you know, Frank Nazar is another one. People love, he's the other guy we were talking about last year. People love Frank Nazar. I think you can make the case that Oliver Moore, maybe not quite as purely skilled as Nazar, but every bit as fast, if not faster, you know, I don't, I don't know who's taller between the two of them. It's a good question, but Moore maybe looks bigger to me on the ice. I think he'd be a great outcome. People would have been thrilled with Frank Nazar last year from what I could tell in my comments. Yeah. 
Yeah, it took a long time for me to come off Frank Nazer. Actually, it was um, a, a scout elsewhere, not in Detroit, who said that the public opinion of Frank Nazer was a lot higher than the yes. uh, internal team opinions. And that uh, happens every totally. year, right? Like it, it's and it is often it seems on the smaller skill guys. Um, I think this year Benson uh, to a lesser degree, even though I think he's you know Lekaramaki. But I think Benson could see a similar kind of like you could see some rhyme with him and Joachim Kemmel and Lekaramaki, who seem like top ten locks, and then they both go in the teens. But the big lightning rod seems to be Andrew Crystal, um, who I don't think the public maybe is quite as high on as those guys, but there are lists that have him in the top ten. I would not oh definitely pick him in the top ten personally. No. I'm there with you. It looks like Oliver Moore's listed a couple inches taller than Frank Nazer. Um, what Nazer listed at? Five, uh, five nine, according to Elite Prospects. Okay. I, Which is a perfectly fine I thought fine he was height. listed at 6'0". <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought he was listed at 6'0 for some reason, but I never believed that. So maybe I maybe I saw a bad number. And yeah. It's funny how much those things become more accurate, accurate once they're actually drafted and in the NHL. Well, in the combine, you get like a, a foolproof one, right? Like... That's right. I, and and they might get less accurate once you get to the NHL because then teams can just start lying again. I I made that insinuation once and I got I got scolded for it. They said no teams take it very oh, seriously. Oh, come on. <laughs> I know that's what I said too. Okay, so you mentioned Axel Sandin Pelica and we talked briefly about David Reinbacher. We did our uh, first uh podcast mock and Reinbacher didn't go or no defenseman won in the top 10, which was obviously incorrect. Like we know that's not the case even though it's where our gut feeling is in terms of what we'd want to see play out or what we do. It's just not the way the NHL works. It, acknowledging that at least one of those guys is bound to go in the top 10 and maybe much higher in the top 10. What are the odds that Detroit looks at a Reinbacher or Axel Sandin Pelica and says, yes, with ninth overall, we want this guy. And then they take the risk of uh, whoever's left of Jaeger and, and Moore and whoever else that's who we'll take at 17 because uncomfortable though it may be i know brad somewhere is getting the urge to punch the air as i say this it, it's very much an option it is an option I, I i don't i wouldn't put it as the most likely option but it's not less than like 20 percent. you know it's at least that um you know reinbacher if he gets there i think that would be later than i would expect him to go so i think you could make an argue that's the value at that point you know if it's me i want to come out of this with probably two forwards so these two top 20 picks. I just think that's where the, the real, you need the right-handed D I get it. Um, and the top of the draft is the best place to get it. But I think the the need in the system right now is you, you got to fill out this, uh, you got to fill out the, the forward core. And so I think that's what I would do, but I don't think I would hate either of those picks. Um, I like Reinbacher. I think he's very much their profile. That would not shock me one bit. Sandine Pelic, I like as a player. I think he's a little different from what they like to draft. Maybe you can make the case that that means that he's what they need. I wouldn't hate that argument. I think uh, Willander and Dmitry Simashev would both be guys who I think more fit what they like to do. And I don't think either of those would be a reach either. So I think D, I don't know, 30 to 35%. Like, you know, these are all made up percentages, but this is just my gut, I guess. No, it's written down in the book. It's gospel now. <laughs> We're going to get into this plenty as we approach the uh, the draft in Nashville. I want to talk broad strokes, and uh, you're going to be our ray of sunshine as I am still uh, waiting for my caffeine to kick in. <laughs> I saw last night come through, and even though I knew statistically and emotionally and all that, it just wasn't going to happen for Detroit. I genuinely thought that was Detroit's last chance at the boost that so many other teams have had sometimes more than once. And now... 
this is genuinely, and I'm not trying to make a Kevin Durant joke, like the hardest road here for Red Wings management to see this thing through. They've, I don't want to say tied their hands in a certain direction, but they've started those wheels turning and they're not about to go backwards. And it's a little bit of a tough offseason coming up with a thin free agency market. Agree or disagree, Steve Eisenman has to do something big this offseason to kind of make up for a lack of help from the hockey gods. Agree, I think. I, I don't think it has to be desperate, but yeah, I think you do have to go, you know. Number one, okay, what we saw in February, I think you and I can agree that we both maybe bought it a little harder than maybe in hindsight we would like to believe we did, right? Totally. Uh, fine. I, that's fine. But I do think the come down from that, as much as people wanted to attribute it solely to like, oh, the gutting of the friend Bertuzzi, I think it was at least as much, if not maybe significantly more about the management kind of pulling the plug on them and saying like, nope, that's it, right? I don't think if you go into next season with the exact same group, um, it's a playoff team, but I think you can expect them to be better than they were down the stretch, just having a fresh start for that. That being said, I think you could actually up it quite a bit by doing the reverse. Given that group a jolt of, hey, we're going for this. We're not just content here. We're not starting a new rebuild, which is probably how it felt when you see Hironic and Bertuzzi go out the door, right? I, I do think the, the advantages of going out and getting somebody doesn't have to be, you know, obviously the one everyone's going to want here is, is one of these guys that from the Leafs when they seemingly inevitably blow it up. It doesn't have to be one of their core guys, Nylander seemingly being the, the big prize. But if you go get like a big time, uh, scorer like that, I just think that the message that that sends is like, Hey, we're, we're not just waiting for somebody to fall out. We're chasing this, I think would be really well received. Completely agree. And I also think, yeah, it's easy to point to the stories where teams have had those first overall picks and whatnot uh, in previous years. And that is like the the shining example of who's successful on their teams. But you also look at, you know, Seattle is a, I don't want to say a perfect analog at what you're looking at, but that that's a team that's come together and has been a greater than the sum of their parts. Steve Eisenman has hammered home that he really wants a lot of improvement from within. And not all of that's going to happen. That's just the nature of uh, player development. But if... Casper makes the team is and is somewhat impactful. If Edvinson recovers well from surgery and makes the team is somewhat impactful, and they get more from Raymond and maybe Rasmussen stays healthy, then you can see how those things kind of all just add up. They're not massive swings, but they all add up to a much better result for the Red Wings. Totally, and that's all. That's all it takes. Sometimes, like you, you need that one big infusion. I think you probably need that guy to replace the thirty goals you were counting on from one of Verona or Bertuzzi last year. But I think you're going to get positive regression from Andrew Kopp in the goal column. I think I don't think that's going to happen again. Did he finish even with 10? I think I, – I don't know that he did. I think it was like 9. Let me look at this really quick. Hold on. Oh, you're right. No. Yeah, you're right. So with that's goals. not going to happen again, right? Like you're going to get seven or eight more goals out of him. I think you're going to get a couple more goals. You're going to get uh, – out of most of your down lineup guys, I think you'll, you'll get five or so more out of like the Valenos – Healthy Rasmussen. We'll see what it is for Larkin. I think you're going to get more from Raymond. And then you're going to chip, you know, hopefully chip away at some of those other spots, right? Can Casper give you 15 goals as a rookie? You know, Bergen, we'll see. He scored more goals than I expect him to this year. That might be tough to to maintain. I don't know. Um, Perron, I, you know, obviously you're counting him for a lot. Kubelik probably gave you a little more than you were hoping for. But if you can add that one guy who's like, bang, that's 30, all of a sudden that starts to add up. And you just need guys to be five percent better um and it it can make a big difference 
it happened. It started this year, but all of a sudden, the there's been an evaporation of the kind of weightlessness of team results. I I said at the start of last offseason, I think people who are saying playoffs are bust, I can't call them crazy, and I don't blame anyone for having those expectations. Uh, And this season, I think that's even more amplified, if not has taken up the majority of the pie, which is that there should be an expectation that this team is going to make a serious challenge. If they get into the playoffs, which would be a phenomenal outcome, I don't think you can uh, expect that they do so as cup contenders. But that's uh, that's an issue for April of next year. I think it's we're heading into next season and thinking... Those kind of improvements that you just rhymed off, Max, that's what you have to hold players to task for. That that's And you're starting to see that from Eisenman um, at the end of the, the that presser. Absolutely. And I, I got to be careful how often I make this comparison. So before long, I'm going to get accused of saying that being like Buffalo and just having like the 13th pick in the draft is the goal. But honestly, like, do you hear anybody right now? Buffalo didn't make the playoffs this season. Buffalo's streak of not making the playoffs is now how long? Is it like, is it 10 years? Believe so, yeah. I mean, it's it's getting up there, so I'm going to look it up while I talk. But uh, you don't hear anyone saying that their rebuild is dragging anymore. You, it's very clear that they are on the other side of of that, and I think you know that's that should be the goal for next year. Not it's not the goal for long term. You 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 and I agree on this, Ryan. That you know it's just not realistic to think that you're going to go from you know okay, you're top ten, top ten, top ten because you're gathering top ten picks, and the next year, boom, you're a conference finalist. You never spent any time in the the dreaded middle that everyone uh, in the hockey world is so terrified of. Uh, it's okay to just spend a couple years there. It just has to be trending upward. It can't be the peak, and I don't think that that would be the peak. Buffalo yeah. streak is forever. They're, they're past it's a dozen years. years now. Yeah, yeah. So that's so you know, but no one is talking about that right now because it's obvious that they're right on the doorstep now. And how many points ahead of Detroit did they even finish? The, the thing is with Buffalo is they just had, they had their hot streak right at the end of the year. I do think they did better on balance over the course of the season, but their lows sure. were just as low as Detroit's. Yeah. They just happened to finish out. So they, they finished with 11 more points, which is substantial. Five um, wins, right? Yeah. I mean, sit five and a half, five and an overtime loss. Yeah. Which is not nothing, but, but like, even if you go back and you look like what that was at 75 games, it was within like six points. Like, Make that leap. Get to 90. I think 90 points next season would be a very successful season for the Red Wings. Um, and I don't want to overstate it and, and give out a participation trophy here, but like be on that doorstep. And if you do better, great. But that's if you go get a big score and you get to 90 points and you're right on the doorstep and you got all these guys, whoever you pick this year, Edvinson, Casper, coming more into their own, Raymond breaking out more, uh, becoming what he's, what I think he still will be. It's a 70 point guy. How could you not be? encouraged by that so even though detroit went to the dance that is the draft lottery time after time after time after time struck out every time uh you know left without getting prom king or whatever it is there's no reason to be despondent is the message that you're saying there's still a path forward even if it's not the you know sexy one where you won first overall yeah and i'm not saying don't be like i did have someone tweet me the other day who was like when when is it okay for fans to be discouraged and mad and impatient and like the answer is now it's okay to be all those things right this second. But what I would say is it's not like a trust the process thing. It's just like a, all that can be valid and fair. And also it doesn't, it's not a death sentence. How we feel about a team going into a season. And this has been proven over and over and over every year has almost no bearing about what is possible. I did not think Seattle had a prayer of making the conference finals before this season. Uh, I did not feel great about their situation beyond having Maddie Beneers and Shane Wright. 
but they are there right now and they, they have a chance to win the Stanley Cup this season. I'm not picking them, but they have a chance. If they finish off this series against Dallas, they will have beaten, in my opinion, the two best teams in that conference, top to bottom, Colorado and Dallas. I picked Edmonton to win the cup, but if you just go top to bottom, those other two teams I think are probably tougher to knock off. Now, would I pick Seattle against Edmonton? No, I still am going with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. But they just beat Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr. Like, it can happen. And it does happen. Um, I'm not saying the goal is to be Seattle. I know you want to be Tampa. But you don't have those guys. And, you know, this guy, uh, Eamon, was in my comments today of a story saying, like, should Red Wings fans take some hope from that? I think, yeah, I think you should. I really do. Shouldn't put all your eggs in that basket. But it does happen. All right. Well, uh, I encourage you to go read Max's work on The Athletic Detroit. If you go to at M underscore Boltman on Twitter, undoubtedly you're already following him. But if you're not, please do uh, click on the link to one of his stories from his Twitter feed and uh, subscribe to The Athletic Detroit from there. Uh, as always, it's a uh, must read. I wait up at night after big news because I know Max is putting something together and it's the first thing I read in the morning as well. If you subscribe, uh, it shows The Athletic that Max is pound for pound uh, the best sports writer that we have uh, in hockey, and uh, it's absolutely, like I said, worth the price of admission. Max, thank you so much for doing this, and uh, get ready. The ninth overall pick is not going to be an easy story, because like we've talked about here for half an hour, it's nuanced, so can't wait to have you back. I appreciate it, man. Those uh, those those hype uh, speeches you give just get better and better every time. I'm going to be the president soon here at a couple more appearances. <laughs> if my if my wedding vows aren't as good as those, because I think Mel- I thought you were going to say you're putting me in the wedding vows. I mean, no pressure, but yeah. <laughs> I'd never well, know one way or the other. I guess there will be a substantial amount of people there. That's probably a pretty big uh, pretty big chunk of subscribers I can get you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, we'll give them all a discount code. How about Perfect. That? <laughs> all right. Talk soon, man. All right, buddy. See you later. Welcome back. That's our conversation with Max Boltman. Like he alluded to, a lot to kind of look forward to in terms of who is available for Detroit. And Brad, before the break, you said this is now the fun part. And it genuinely is. Uh, I think our ability to pump in blind, maybe misguided optimism died years ago. So believe us when we say there is a lot of fun to be had here with the prospects at hand. And let's cover some of those guys who are going to potentially be available for Detroit. Now, not all of them will shake out this way. Some of them will come off the board earlier. Like we're going to talk about Dalibor Dvorsky and he, to me, strikes me as a guy who's going to go maybe really high up. Max made said like you could even see him at Montreal if the Mijkov drop happens. But still, there are quite a few options and they don't even all have to be at pick nine and they don't all necessarily have to be at pick 17 if Detroit wants to move around. So who are the the general biggest names that come to your mind when I say ninth overall pick for Detroit? Well, if you're looking for the high offense guys, you could have a Dvorsky like we alluded to, a Gabe Perot, um, a Zach Benson, a Ryan Leonard, all different flavors of offense. But those are the guys who are going to be, you know, you're drafting them because you expect them to put up points. You could get your, you know, 200 foot centers, which is an option, an Oliver Moore, a Nate Danielson, again, depending on what your preference is, you can get. The higher risk, pure goal scorers, Matthew Wood, Colby Barlow. And again, I'm not saying all these guys are necessarily on my target list for nine, but these are the ones that are going to be talked about. If you are like Steve Eisenman and obsessed with defensemen high in the draft, you have uh, David Reinbacher, Axel Sandin Pelikar probably are definitely worth talking about at number nine. And then 
you know, I just gave a list of 10 ish players there. And mm-hmm. the beauty of this is, uh, one of them is probably going to be available at 17 as well. So, you know, that, that, this is kind of the group I've isolated on. Um, obviously I have my preferences. Everybody's going to have their preferences. We don't know what Eisman's preferences are going to be, but th- this is the core of names everybody should start to get very familiar with. To me, Ryan Leonard stands out as the guy where if he's there and barring it being like a Mijkov or something, that would be as close as you can get to an automatic pick. Maybe if Dvorsky's in that range as well, he, he you're running to the stage for either of those as the rankings are right now. And something important to remember and that we've learned over the years is just because the public models all universally agree on you know these rules of this player's in this tier internal team models don't necessarily and teams don't care to correct you like they don't care at all what the public models say and that's how you get oh that was a reach and that was a drop and that's not necessarily the case but in my mind ryan leonard in the kind of game he plays yeah is he a winger yes and so he doesn't solve a center issue that the red wings might still have but he produces he plays a tenacious game he is in your face he plays you know playoff style hockey he fits the bill in terms of an Eiserman type player and frankly the, the the archetype of player that the entire league wants and that's why I think Ryan Leonard is probably going to be off the board like he you are not watching Tyler Bertuzzi you are not watching Matthew Kachuk you're not watching all these guys play hockey that every GM now covets and and watching Ryan Leonard slipped too far down it's not impossible but I think he's very likely to go within the top eight for me in terms of a guy who I think safely might be there who is really intriguing me is Oliver Moore I, I'm wondering if there isn't more untapped potential just because he was buried, like Max said, on that second line with the USNTDP. His skating is outstanding, and the Red Wings need that desperately. If, like, you you compare him a lot to Dylan Larkin, Brad. If he's Dylan Larkin, too, then, you know, the meme on this show of if we had two Dylan Larkins, then that's perfectly fine for your top two centers. This could be it. This could be that joke manifest in Oliver Moore. And, and so... I would love to take a swing on Oliver Moore to see if there isn't some untapped uh, offensive potential there, but there's a, a ton of other names. Yeah, it's, you know, as sick of this as we are, it's a fantastic problem to have. What do you think about the potential? And I tweeted this out, and I know it's not very likely, and I, I pose the same question to Max, but bear with me. What do you think about moving up if you see a Michkov available at six or let's say you even want to move up and go crazy and try to get to fifth to guarantee yourself one of Carlson Smith or Michkoff or moving up in general I know one of those teams is Montreal and and trading intra division isn't going to be on GM's wish list right now to to put it lightly but Detroit has a a wealth of picks here and as you've said a lot of times Evan you can't make all of them Uh, eventually like you're going to need spots for all those guys and sometimes you have to turn those guys into other things and We've talked a lot about, you know, the Red Wings now have to move forward. You're going to have to spend to get better. So with two first-round picks this year, three second-round picks this year, up to two first-round picks next year, you're going to have to do something. So what do you think about the potential of moving up with the ninth overall pick or even with the 17th? Um, boring answer. It always depends on acquisition cost. You, you always do what's best. Um, I think if you're not moving into the top five or if Michkov doesn't slip there's no point again let's say Dvorsky goes sixth and Leonard goes ninth I don't think there's a big enough gap between those players to justify trading up um you have to be getting a Michkov a Will Smith uh uh, Leo Carlson to even consider it 
And that acquisition cost is probably going to be high because I don't think one of your second round picks gets you up there. It's probably pick 17 that gets you up there or a future first. And I just don't think that's the move there. I'd be more intrigued at moving up from 17 because a second round pick probably does get you up, you know, four or five spots there, as we've seen Iserman do for almost the exact same acquisition price in the almost the same range. So would I give up one of the three seconds to to hop up there? Uh, absolutely. Um, so I, I'd say that's the more likely one because even though I said there's going to be great options available at 17, if you want to guarantee yourself a Matthew Wood, a Colby Barlow, a Braden Yeager, whoever it is, yeah, jump up four or five spots to ensure that happens. So I'm going to say it's less likely to happen at nine because again, I just the cost to get one of those five uh, big boys in the draft is going to be severe. And given that the Red Wings still have multiple significant holes on offense to fill, the fact that they could, not to the extent they need to, but to the fact to the fact that they could fill two of those holes in this one round is still intriguing. Yeah, for me, the cost to move into the top five, I I'm I don't even want to know what it would be because it, I'm sure it's outrageous. Um, as the prospects have sort of started to divide themselves into groups, it, it's becoming quite apparent to me that the top five have sort of separated themselves. You never know. Some teams may have a different four or five guy than other teams. It happens almost every single year. Somebody gets a little bit creative and takes someone you didn't expect at in the top five. But yeah, the the more likely and more cost-effective move, I think, is at 17. Um and it all depends on who's answering the phone that day and what those teams are looking for. Like, there might be a team that only wants a second or, um, yeah, it's going to take some creativity, but I think the options are more possible with the 17th pick. A situation I could see playing out is, let's say the Red Wings' very strong European scouting uh, takes a look at either Axel Sandin Pelica or David Reinbacher and says, hey, I don't care about your positional need. These guys are so good. You need to take them with a ninth overall pick. They take a defense with a ninth, but then they say, well, Oliver Moore is still going to be on the board at 13 or Colby Barlow or someone else who solves this scoring issue. Then I could see them moving those assets to trade out from 17 to 12, 13, whatever it is to, to you pay the premium, but then you still get your your offensive weapon that you should have really had at nine and you walk away with a defenseman that you think was way higher value. I'm not saying that's what I want to happen. I'm still pretty much on the grab two of the forwards because there's so many good ones. But I also know that I have a bias against drafting a defenseman in the spot, which is inherently unfair to those guys. And we preach best player available year after year after year. You you kind of have to deploy that even when it's uncomfortable. And, and that might be Reinbacher or Sandeep Pelica. Well, at least by uh, what I've seen, in my opinion so far, what a beautiful coincidence in this draft because I don't have either of them rated in the top 10. I, I don't think they are top 10 talents in this draft. I think they're going to go high simply because of the lack of defensemen and someone's going to overvalue and they're going to reach. And as long as it's not Detroit, that's great for Detroit. And there are teams whose prospect pools lack high quality defensemen. They're like, we have a glut of... Uh, you know, high octane forwards in our prospect system. We need to start bolstering our defense, so they'll go for a defense. They'll go for a defenseman, and that should play in Detroit's favor, honestly. Because I don't expect, based on all the mocks I've seen, 
now that it's laid out and even a handful before the lottery, Reinbacher's gone by nine in almost all of them, which is, you know, best case scenario for Detroit. Oh, you said in a previous episode, you think it's more likely that two defensemen go in the top 10 than um, neither or something. To none that yeah, I think, yeah, it's yeah. more likely that two go than none. And I personally have no defense rated in my top 10. I don't even think I, either of those guys crack my top 12 or 13 right now. Max mentioned that Dvorsky might be a guy who disrupts what we think is the top five as of right now, which is Bedard, Fantilli, uh, Carlson, Michkov, Will Smith. So if Dvorsky gets in there and Michkov falls, well, Reinbacher's another guy who I think could also disrupt that. And all of a sudden you have, you know, potentially Matt Vay-Michkov at seven, at which point, you know, I'm, I'm freaking si- out a little bit. I'm freaking out a little bit. Granted, a lot of other GMs are going to be freaking out a little bit and they're all going to try to move up to that spot or whoever seventh is going to say, oh, wow, I am absolutely going to love draft. Like Philly would love that. And Washington, if he makes it to eighth, like they're going to grab him. Yeah. The Russian factor there. But still, that's the kind of thing where I want to throw away all of my ideals and say, I'm of two minds. I want Steve Eisenman to move forward this offseason and make a move. And uh, uh, also, please get this guy who you can't have for three years. Something I, I post to Max, which I'm going to post to you too. Now that we know for a fact, for as long was, as was reasonable to do that Eisenman hung out at the draft lottery, the Red Wings hung out at the draft lottery and walked away with nothing, which isn't their fault. It was the right way to, to try to rebuild because that's how other teams move up their rebuilds. Do you think Eisenman now has to create his own luck, has to create his own moves? Not something desperate, not something stupid, but you have to make a big swing this offseason, even knowing free agency is thin right now. Well, uh, rhetorical question, what's the alternative? There isn't really one. Um, even if the Red Wings do nothing this offseason, we know what this team looks like healthy. This team was in a playoff spot in February. I, do I think if they do nothing that they make the playoffs next year? No. But once again, I expect them to hang around a playoff spot deep into the season, which means... The lottery ain't going to do anything for them. So what's the alternative? Free agency isn't going to do it. So you're left with trade. That's that's the only option. Now, I say that, and every time we have this conversation, we key in on all the guys who might be available for trade this summer. That might not materialize. The answer might be next offseason because, you know, player A, B, or C is going to be available in trade, and they're more enticing than the you know, Jesper Bratt, Alex DeBrinkett, Kyle Connor, Nick Ehlers, who might be available this summer. Yeah. I haven't looked into the 2024 offseason, so nobody even ask. But, <laughs> well, Brad is done right now. Yeah. <laughs> but, so the play might be status quo, go into next season, hope for some internal improvement and a little more health. And, you know, yeah, you hang around to the play. Uh, in the playoff race to the very end and then go and make a big splash. But the ultimate answer here is, yeah, you better be picking up the phone and calling NHL GMs every day trying to shake something loose. Yeah, it's easier said than done. Like, oh, Eisman has to go and make a trade that's going to make this team better. Anyone in management listening to this is going to go, well, yeah, obviously. That's what we're trying to do too. Everyone every day is trying to do that in the NHL. Um, but it's just, it does feel a little bit more, 
you just you know the help isn't going to come from that free pool where you just have to get lucky where it seems like every other team has been able to dip their hands into it which again is unfortunate but you tried you tried you tried you tried you tried you tried for as long as as it made sense to and now you know the red wings steve eisman chris draper everyone there are they're left to their own devices fair or not that's just the way it is and so you have to find a way to keep in lockstep with Ottawa. You have to find a way to keep in lockstep with Buffalo. And, you know, it won't be long before Montreal is is impactful again. If Montreal takes Michkov, that their top six is going to look pretty intimidating in, in, you know, a few years there. It's going to keep things interesting. I wish this was an easy offseason where we just, you know, talked about pick 17 and that's it. because we knew what was going to happen with pick one or two, but... This is the reality for the Red Wings now. It, it, there's no easy path forward. It's going to have to be something that you can almost not predict because as Brad said, there's it, everything is, a, is an option and almost nothing is available until it is. Like Trades are just so hard to predict in this league. And uh, as you heard us talk with, with Max earlier, improvement is going to come incrementally. It has to come incrementally. It has to come internally through players who are on the roster now. It has to come through, you know, young rookies making the team and making an impact within their first couple of years. It has to come with veterans either sustaining their their uh, production or, you know, Cobb having a better season and healthier and Michael Rasmussen staying healthy. It's all going to be little bits and pieces that's going to make them more competitive over the course of the season. And like you said, Brad, it might not all add up to the right amount this next year. They might not get that trade this this offseason, but you never know how the draft is going to shake out. You never know what guy's going to come in and make an impact. Maybe Carter Mazur's a 30-goal scorer. Just don't, please don't hold him to that. That's unreasonable of an expectation, but it is now firmly in Detroit's hands. Lady Luck has not visited Hockey Town. And I'm sure the organization hasn't hung their hat on the idea that they need to win the lottery. I think, no, I think last night was just the affirmation that it's not going to happen, and... Uh, they showed up to know sort of where they're picking and what their game plan is going to be. Not, uh, please God, we need Connor Bedard to uh, yeah. right the ship. Yeah, it, it would have been a nice to have, but certainly the plans, you don't plan. They're not revolving a, around getting the 5% the, chance. Yeah, the lottery win. Would have been nice. Anyhow, that's uh, that's all the, the moaning I'll do about it. What that means uh, up ahead is we have a lot of draft content coming we named a bunch of players who are potential at ninth overall if the Red Wings even make picks 9 and 17. And we didn't even cover all of them. And the the guys we named are all good options. So there is a lot to dive into here. It's going to be a fun few months uh, as we head into the draft and then free agency thereafter. So uh, thanks for sticking with us. And uh, it's hopefully we're all going to walk away from this offseason with a, a clear vision of where the Red Wings' future is and the optimism is there. I mean, you heard Max earlier. He was a ray of sunshine. Don't take uh, a Brad and uh, Brad's Evan impression as as the mood for the Red Wings rebuild. Like, there's still a lot of really good pieces, and there's a lot of really good moves to come. Not really good. Some quick Red Wings news. You know how we talked last episode about Jake Wallman playing for Team Canada? Mm-hmm. Never mind. Upper body injury. Not playing in the tournament. Oh well, great. That sucks. Happy at least that he's going to be able to heal and be ready for next offseason, but it would have been cool to see Jake Wallman play for for Team Canada. Carter Mazur did well in uh, pre-tournament play today. Couple, Always good to see. Yeah, he I I caught wind of uh, or I caught a couple of clips of uh, a couple of primary assists. He nice to see him make the team and actually make an impact. It's also good warm up to for NHL play, like playing against you know professional level players. Not that the NCAA is uh, full of scrubs by any means, but that's a uh, good tune-up for what's going to come in in preseason for the Red Wings. 
Okay, some quick updates before we uh, jump into overtime here. We are pre-recording this episode on Tuesday night. It's going to go up early Wednesday morning, so our schedule is a little different. Uh, we are going to probably have a piece of bonus content out for you this weekend, but our usual Sunday episode is going to be moved to Monday evening, and then the episode after that is going to be Thursday. So uh, our schedule is just moved up a day each, so Sunday episode to Monday, and our uh, midweek episode is going to be the Thursday. It's usually either Wednesday or Thursday, so thanks for bearing with us. And for the walkie uh, pre-recording, which is why we didn't talk a lot of uh, NHL playoffs today. Uh, I guess as an update right now, as we're recording, Carolina is up 5-1 on New Jersey. That, My God, I what? just looked and it was 1-1. Yeah, every <laughs> minute ago, every game in that series has been like a weird blowout. I don't, Carolina is up 2-1 in the series and they are looking to go th- up 3-1 at the time of recording. Florida is up 3-0 on Toronto, which is objectively cool and hilarious. And if they win just one more game than Detroit's pick moves officially from 18 to 17, the one that originally belonged to the Islanders. Vegas is up 2-1 on Edmonton, and Seattle is up 2-1 on Dallas, and they play again uh, tonight, I believe, yeah. Imagine the reaction from the hockey Puritans with a Seattle-Vegas conference final. Oh, Gary Bettman is going... (laughs) If he didn't already explode out of pure euphoria last night from Connor Bedard going to like a premier market in Chicago, that conference final would... He will he will literally grow wings and fly everywhere. Well, it'll be his penance for having to deal with Florida, Carolina in the <laughs> East. Yeah. That's right. But yeah, that uh, the playoffs are kind of wild. The, the Carolina New Jersey series is a little bit bonkers. Every game kind of goes insane like that. But the Toronto Florida one is <laughs> the story right now, which is good for Detroit. But more on that next episode. We're going to jump into overtime again. Uh, overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. The uh, Winged Wheel Podcast Discord, the bonus episodes, and the giveaways, uh, a ton of great benefits for you, and it helps us grow the show, uh, support expansion shows like uh, Expected by Whom in the Winged Wheel Podcast content world, and uh, support the Jamie Daniels Foundation as well. Let's take some questions from our uh, patrons. Give Wallman the heart, says Chicago shouldn't even have the first round pick. I hate this. Anyways, might just be an overreaction to the disappointment to the lottery, but consensus seems to be that Steve Eisenman has to do something big. We have five picks in the top 45 and an extra first rounder in 2024. We don't need three more third liners. We have like 15. (laughs) Can we get into the top five? Who would even pick up the phone? So I know we talked about this, but who would pick up the phone, I think is a good question. In the top five, Chicago, Anaheim, roll them out. Columbus third, San Jose fourth. Montreal fifth. And let's throw Arizona sixth in there as well, just in case, you know, Michkov falls a spot. Columbus is an interesting one to me because they're not actually that bad. They just had an absolutely nuclearly bad season. Yarmo would charge three arms and a leg for third overall. Oh, it'd be outrageously expensive, but they'd pick up the phone. Yeah. I don't think they would. I think they're in the position of it's more it's more benefit to them to get one big piece because they're not a terrible team. They have some depth and a strong prospect pool. If anybody's trading back, it's a team that that could definitely desperately use some volume. And to me, out of all the teams in the top six, that's probably San Jose. They have a really trash prospect pool. Yeah, there's not a lot coming down the pipe. And obviously, you know, a Will Smith, uh, Leo Carlson, or Matt Vaymichkov certainly helps. And and the play for them should be to just pick one of those guys but they could see value in going okay well we can get let's say three premium pieces for this one piece 
we need to restock the cupboard, so maybe that's the play. I, again, I don't think it's going to happen, and I'm not, I don't think Detroit gets up into the top five. I don't even know if they call, but if anybody's going to do it, San Jose seems to be the most likely. The penalty box says there's discussion centering on Toronto's annual playoff failure in spite of changing GMs, coaches, and role players, and perhaps the core should be addressed. Of Marner, Nylander, Tavares, and Matthews, which, if any, do you think get moved prior to next season's trade deadline? And if you're Eisenman, are you interested? Nylander's probably the most likely, if not the only one, who would even be considered. Um, I've brought it up like three times in the last two episodes, and I still haven't checked. I think he only has one year left on his contract. I believe so. And if he does, and if that is correct, Eisenman will not be interested. You would wait for him to be. You either wait for him to be a UFA or you. And he has a limited no move on that last season next year, which yeah. is at a shade under $7 million. Yeah. Eisenman's not going to be interested in anybody on a one-year contract. So If you can bring in Nylander, like thoughts on his, you know, how soft he is or whatever aside, like that is the, the level of scoring that the Red Wings would desperately want to bring in. There would be a lot of competition for to bring in a guy like that, and he would not come cheap. But, you know, we've talked a lot about you have to overpay for, for scoring because you can't really get it elsewhere, and, and that's an option, like it or not. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree that you would want to probably wait a year. Marcus says, Howdy, during the stream last night, there was a discussion about if Slavkovsky was in this draft, he might not even be a top five pick. Since there's no solidified top ten D-men, for fun, if you were to throw Edvinson into this draft, where would he fall compared to the talent that's there? Knowing what we know about Edvinson now or knowing what we knew about Edvinson going into his draft? Um, let's go with the latter, going into his draft. Oh, he, he doesn't crack the top 10. I agree. I, I think nine would be generous for him based on that draft and, and how that all shook out. There's just too much talent it's kind of bursting at the seams of that top 10. Yeah, he's probably somewhere between 10 and 15. I do like him more than I like Reinbacher. Like, to me, he would be the most appealing defenseman in this draft um, comfortably. So, yeah, 11, 12 probably would be where he would fall for me. Uh, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy uh, says, I was going to write a long message stating how mad I am uh, that Chicago doesn't, uh, and that Chicago doesn't deserve the first overall pick, but it seems like everyone uh, said said it better than I could. My new hope is that Steve uses 9 and or 17 to move up or to go out and get a superstar with it. I saw two trade proposals that interested me for Debrinket and Connor, both involving ninth overall, sometimes 17th, and both included Zadina. I like Connor better than Debrinket, but it's close. Would you trade two firsts and Zadina for Connor? As much as I love Zadina still, I obviously like Connor more. What about Zadina, 17th overall, and Boston's first next year? I like that better because he can still get a good center at 9th, like Oliver Moore, but would Winnipeg go for it? Food for thought, keep up the good work, has always stepped up. Do I do I be the a-hole here and say it? As always. Uh, Zadina is not a positive asset. He is not a factor in a Kyle Connor or Alex Debrinket trade. He is that piece you throw in at the end to just get it over the hump. Like if Winnipeg's humming and hawing about, let's say, pick nine in Boston's pick next year um, for Connor. And you go, all right, fine. We will also give you this reclamation project. And they go, ah, okay. Um, but, I mean, we have precedence for a trade like this with Ottawa acquiring Alex Debrinkit last year. They gave up um, a pick right around number nine, and they gave up a high second round pick. And that was it. 
Now, Connor has one more year on his contract than Debrinket did at the time. And Debrinket this year doesn't have a contract, but he has team control still, but is one year away from UFA, which complicates things. Nine and a late first. So let's say the Bruins pick does get you very close on Kyle Connor based on precedence. I think you have to add something else in there. I don't think Zadina would do it. So you're probably looking at nine uh, Bruins pick and pick a B-level prospect from the Red Wings system. So like an Albert Johansson or something like that. That probably gets it done. Yeah, there is... Once you get into the trade world, there's a lot of permutations. The funny thing about trades, and I say this a lot, is it's never so clean as like this, this, and this, which adds up to a perfect, like equal value to this Kyle Connor. It's always like, and then this team adds a fifth, and then that team adds a conditional third that moves to a fourth. It all kind of gets ugly, and you never really know uh, how GMs want to go. But people have the right idea. You look at the Winnipegs, you look at Toronto if they blow it up, you look at teams with good assets and who need a change. Where Detroit's like, I don't care if your assets haven't won for you. We just don't have any assets like that. So let us try with them. And my favorite part about this is like us manifesting the trade because there have been several reports about Winnipeg blowing it up. There has not been one report about Kyle Connor being no. on the block. This is just like our hypothetical that has gained way too much steam. But yes. you know, it'd be nice. The best player on that team. His name is almost universally left off. When they name everyone but him. Yeah. They're like, we're going to bring back Dustin Bufflin just to trade him, but we still won't name Kyle Connor. Yeah. Maybe you get Nick Ehlers for the Bruins pick. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of options, uh, and we're definitely going to spend a lot of this summer diving into it. Uh, but for now, uh, we're going to wrap up. Before we do, uh, I want to say, first of all, happy birthday, Steve Eisman. Sorry you couldn't Isn't get- it Ben Shiraz's birthday too? That's right. Uh, sorry that uh, Steve and Ben couldn't get a great Red Wing teammate as a- uh, as a little bonus birthday surprise for them. Uh, and then also I want to uh, uh, mention the passing of Peter Klima, who um, uh, passed away at uh, age 58 just earlier on, on May 4th, obviously far too young. Uh, Klima is a legend across the entire NHL and hockey world, uh, obviously uh, coming over from the Czech Republic and his story and defecting and, uh, his impact with the Red Wings as he started off his career in Detroit and then finished uh, as well with the Red Wings. Obviously, he scored that uh, massive Stanley Cup Finals uh, goal for Edmonton as well, which is going to go down in all time. You know what? That's history. actually that's an all time goal because it hurt the Bruins. Yeah, that's a great. So point. yeah, that might as well have been a goal for the Red Wings. <laughs> a ton of people reached out with you know Peter Klima used to pop into our beer league and come pay the fee for a few people, play some games, and then head out with the boys after or. Uh, just loved to play. Was an incredibly good guy. Um, we actually, I think you guys actually played with him uh, on the ice, and he uh, jumped on the show. And uh, he was our first ever guest. Yeah, like significant one NHL player guest. So obviously a massive loss for the hockey community. So our thoughts are with Peter Klima's family and loved ones. Okay. We are going to wrap up this episode of the Wingwheel Podcast. Like I mentioned, uh, there is potentially some bonus content coming this weekend, uh, but otherwise our next regular episode will be on Monday night and then the one after that on Thursday. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, the draft lottery is done. Didn't bring us any fun, but there's still a lot of fun to come uh, as we head into the draft. We'd like to thank- Did you purposely make all that rhyme? No. Well, you did. I can't even think straight right now, so I'm, okay. gl I'm glad to know you I have a, a budding rap career ahead of That's me. That's right. 
We'd like to thank all of our listeners, our, our name-level sponsors. What rhymes with sponsors? Uh, all of our Patreon supporters and our name-level uh, sponsors on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation. Akefer, uh, Nick Perks, Icon, We Are Geelong, the greatest team of all. Glenn Brabham, the, the Hat123, I believe a brand-new name-level sponsor. So thank you, unless you just changed your name, in which case I'm sorry. Uh, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Misunderstood Yowie, Admiral Matt S. at the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landiscog, Bros Before Hostess, Carl Brutina Ninoluski, Chimmy, Chris P., Sizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Alkasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Moldy, moldy old cheese bag. R.A. Red Three. Ryan Hubbard. Ryan the Ryan Hannah Hannah. Scott Martin. That's what I appreciate about you. Wallman's Elite Dancing D. General Andy Bohan of the Cheese Bag Army. Sam Bankson, Number One Red Guys fan. A.A. Ron. Adam Gowitska. Adam Rose. Brad Simmons. Brian Vasha. Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheese Bags. C.J. Wilkinson. Commander Ben Barron of the Cheese Bag Space Force. Connor Layton. Corey Prita. Darren Fick. Dungeon Master of Puppets. Frank Stanley. Gene Sullivan, Grand Rapids Hockey Guy, Griffey Boy, I Can't Decide on My Next Patreon Name, Instructions Unclear, Cheesebag No Longer Fresh, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rapsy, John Evans, John Engels, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Matt Keeler, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Ophelia, Steven, Tatarsas, The Hodag, The Honorable Sir Poopy Pants of the Poop Bag Army, and the St. Louis Blueth. Say thank you all so much, and we'll see you after the weekend. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.